Mmm, are you snug? It's time to sleep sexy. I'm Kiana Rose of KianaRose.com and I am one of the internal. I love words. I love reading them. I love proofreading them. And I love speaking them. Sleep Sexy is my podcast intended to relax you, entice you, and put you to bed. I'm going to read you short stories of romance, erotica, fetish, the taboo, and BDSM. I'm excited if you're excited. Let's learn about a fabulous author and jump into their beautiful world. Get comfy. Did you know that I'm also a songwriter? I am on Spotify, Kiana Rose, Q-U-I-A-N-A-R-O-S-E, all one word. Here's a little taste. Told you nothing That should be some bullshit though How you gon' believe that though Thought you knew me better than that What did you say I'm up ahead You just let us speak up a lot Oh it's like that You done lost your mind Putting the word over mine so fast We was one and one You was all I wanted Welcome to the Sleep Sexy Sleep Segment, and I would like to continue our journey down the path of the basics when approaching your sleep issue. So first, I want to give my disclaimer. I am not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a naturalist, a nutritionist, a counselor, a psychiatrist, a psychologist. I have no medical standing to give anyone mental health or physical health advice. So if you like anything that I say, Please do your own research and talk to your doctor, and I wish you well in your search for good, healthy sleep. We're going to talk about routine today. Um, That's extremely important. Um, Some of the things we've already covered are how sleep is affected by light, sound, um, some suggestions your doctor might make when you first talk to them about the fact that you can't sleep. So, um, if you've missed that, you can look at previous episodes. I even have a whole ASMR experiment episode um, where you and I go down a path of a wonderful, soft, tingly sleep exercise. It's great. You should try it. It's my most listened to episode and I enjoy it sometimes myself when I can't sleep. So 
routine is about repetition. Um, we are habitual creatures, not just mentally, but physiologically. If you really pay attention to who we are as human beings, you can kind of hack your body. <laughs> um, think about the fact that if you lose 20 pounds and you gain 30 pounds right away afterwards, it's because our body thinks it's starving and it stores everything you consume as fat from that point on because it wants to make sure it's prepared for the next time you lose 20 pounds in a year that took you 10 years to gain. So, you know, our body thinks that's irrational and logically unsafe. So, um, it tries to keep us at, at homeostasis. Um, we're easily, I hate to use the word addicted, but we're easily like conditioned to things, coffee, caffeine, sugar, even salt. If you stop consuming salt, your body will stop craving salt, but there takes a period of time, a little, um, detox before you can get there. Um, I've heard, uh, do not hold me to this number, but I've heard that if you give an infant who won't eat a certain type of food, maybe like some peas or something, and you give it to them like 11 different, like 11 consecutive times on different occasions, they'll eventually eat it. They'll crave it. They'll like it. They will stop spitting it out. And that's who we are as creatures. So we're not just our thoughts. We are little cells of bones and flesh. <laughs> so you have to try to work with your body and your, your scientific makeup and not just try to think and will everything. Cause that just don't work. Now do it. <laughs> so routine things you want to do to approach routine are create a little system that triggers your body into knowing it is time to go to sleep. Um, not super easy. And I think you've got to do it for about 21 days before it actually works. So if you've got time, I know this is nowhere near simple for some of us who have jobs that are odd hours and things like that. But so what you want to do is find activities to wind down your day. What you'll need is one initial trigger, whether that be grabbing a cup of tea or washing your face or taking a shower or washing your feet, whatever it might be. Um, it needs to be something pretty significant to let you know, like, up, oh, it is bedtime. Um, so once you do that, um, you just pick a series of things. You can put them in an order, any order you like. Um, but it's important that you do not have any screen time for at least an hour before you're actually going to try to knock out. Um, look at all the different things you can do. You can read a book. Um, you can listen to some music. You can tell your kids a story. You can take a luxurious bath. <laughs> you can brush your teeth, <laughs> whatever your thing is. Um, hey, if you got somebody happily willing, you can have sex. If you don't have anyone happily willing, you can have sex with yourself. That's always fun. Um, whatever you do, um, you need about maybe three to five activities. And they all need to go from the most vigorous down to like the most soothing. Um, I try to let something like this podcast, the sleep sexy be the last thing because it's, um, it's, it's something I can do while laying down in the dark with my eyes closed and not using any other parts of myself actively. Um, so listening to music, something soft like that. Um, it's a really nice idea. So you want to create your little series of activities 
and you want to be very rigid about them. Um, same time every night. Um, try not to do everything or try to do, try not to pick activities that you can only do from the bed. Um, so try to pick things you can do downstairs or in the bathroom, like the bath or the shower or, um, reading a book in another room in a chair, um, scrolling through the internet, um, you know, beforehand. And then as you wind down your evening, take yourself to your bedroom, um, try to make it nice and soft and quiet, cool, dark, silent. Those are your goals. And I know that's somewhat disturbing for some of us because we're not used to so much quiet. Um, I know a lot of us love quiet, but we don't really practice it as much as we say. We love it. So um, try to eliminate all sensory distraction um, and then do that 21 times for 21 days. <laughs> and then if it works, that's great. If it doesn't, we'll have a whole lot more ideas here. <laughs> so that is routine. We are going to move on from there. Um, we'll have plenty of suggestions for you. Um, thank you so much for following this podcast. I know I've been gone for a while. Um, I've had some health issues of my own, but I am up and running in all meanings of the word. And I cannot wait to tell you a sexy story. Hello there, Rosebud. It is time to introduce our author. We have Shay August, who has written a beautiful story called Social Aid and Pleasure. We're going to get a little into some taboo erotica here. It is a sci-fi fantasy. It is a paranormal story called Social Aid and Pleasure. It's a little fun Cinderella reimagining. It's very sexy and erotic. We're going to take a romp into Shay's rare and unknown shifter world. One Mardi Gras, one shifter, and two lives changed forever. It is taking place in the French Quarter. Nothing could be more exciting than that. <laughs> Chantal has waited three years to get her man. Let's find out if she gets him. This story was formally featured in the Shifted Into Love, Lust in the Times of Mardi Gras anthology. I will make sure to put some links where you can find uh, Shay August and also look out for her Bachelor in Paradise. It's a rare and unknown romance series. Um, the rare and unknown book eight is Bachelor in Paradise. I'll put a link to that in uh, the show notes for Amazon for you. A little bit about Shay. She says that she loves to write romance because she loves love. And if it's wrapped in a fantastical fantasy world, then even better. Her goal is to write fast-paced, character-driven paranormal fiction featuring women of color. I can't wait to get into this story. It's going to get really exciting, guys. Have a good time. Social Aid and Pleasure by Shay August Chapter 1 Skirting the third pile of trash in less than one block, she sighed and cursed. Damn tourists! Kicking a pile of novelty bucket-shaped drink containers out of her way before they had a chance to touch her dress. A full-length ball gown in a lush crimson red at the shoulders that faded to a pure white at the hem that barely dusted the silver tips of her borrowed Christian Louboutin heels. A ball gown that she'd had to beg, barter, and practically stole from the costume department. It was cut down to her navel in the front and her tailbone in the back. 
She was showing so much skin and boobs, she could have been a plucked chicken except for the voluminous skirt. She needed to return it in pristine condition. Her job, well, one of her part-time jobs, depended on it. But she had spent the last three years researching and planning for this night. She wasn't going to allow guilt over a stolen dress to stop her now. Not when everything on her body, with the lone exception of her underwear, was borrowed. She was going to crash the ultra-exclusive, ultra-secretive Omega Social Aid and Pleasure Club's Mardi Gras Ball, held in the underground cells of the Ursuline Convent in the quarter. Everything about that sentence was wrong. There was no Omega Social Aid and Pleasure Club, not formally listed anywhere. On the off chance that there was such a club, they didn't have a ball or masquerade, they didn't do anything public like the other crews. Throw a parade, a second line, donate to charities, run a charity, or pay taxes. She checked. Everyone knew there were no underground cells or basements in the city of New Orleans. And finally, no one used the Ursuline convent except the Ursuline nuns. And had you told her that, she would have called the ambulance for you to catch a quick ride to River Oaks in Harahan now that Charity Hospital and its psych ward was closed. Even she would have said the same exact thing three years ago until she went to one. The first time she went to the ball was completely by accident. She was bartending in the second busiest club in the quarter on Lundy Gras, and a group of rowdy drunk women, like a younger version of Girl's Trip mixed with the hangover, smelled her out. They thought she was one of them, a shifter. She wasn't. She's a carrier. Her parents are shifters. She carries the gene to shift. If she gets lucky enough to mate with a shifter, her children could potentially shift. But she couldn't and wouldn't ever. They boldly dragged her from behind the bar on Bourbon and frog-marched her down Chartres Street to the convent with them. She was sure security would have stopped them at the gates, but one sniff by the garden, they were let inside. She'd lived in New Orleans her entire life and knew everything about the city, or so she thought. Her doctoral thesis was on the intersectionality and convergence of humans, shifters, and magic users on or near ley line junctions, specifically in the history of shifters. New Orleans was a magical city. Even the humans felt it. But it wasn't on a major ley line like Houston or one of the Salem's. They had walked inside the wrought iron gates surrounding the Ursuline convent, arm in arm, and following the other well-dressed people down a set of hidden stairs and deep into the cells. She had felt out of place from the moment they had pulled her over the bar, but once they were at their destination, she was not only out of place, but underdressed in her short black skirt, bar apron, heels and drink splattered white blouse, while everyone else was wearing tuxedos and ball gowns, or at the very least, semi-formal cocktail dresses. Then she saw him. Her whole world came to a screeching halt as he stood reigning over the party. Ursa Major, the bear godling. Seven and a half feet tall in his bare feet, he towered over all the shifters in the room. He wore a custom-made tuxedo that outlined him like a noonday shadow, white jacket, white shirt, black bow tie, and black pants with the satin stripe. People were lined up in a receiving line to pay their respects to him. She stood impatiently waiting for her turn. 
She was anxious, nervous, and mortified that she was so turned on by looking at him that she was sure the entire room could smell her. When her group of rowdy bear ladies got to the front of the line, each of them flirted outrageously, but he let them pass through. When his cobalt blue eyes turned on her, she lost the ability to speak. They bore into her soul and it was rocked off its foundation. He smiled a broad flashing of white teeth and kissable lips and a million watts of masculinity and machismo. He had offered her his massive hand, squeaking out something that three years later she still couldn't identify. She passed on through to the party. Only later did she learn that he didn't smile at everyone. He picked one astronomically lucky lady that night to play as his Ursa sponsor Bellatrix, his bear warrior bride for the night. After he had chosen another woman, she'd lost interest in everything around her. She left soon after to go back to the bar and work, but for three long years, her one regret had been running when she should have taken his hand. Tonight, she was going back in to rectify that regret. Chapter 2 Her first obstacle was to get past the security guard at the gate. She didn't have a group of rowdy, drunken bear shifter ladies to blend into this time. Three years of planning had given her time to mull over every scenario and eventuality. She had paid her sexiest female cousin to wear her panties. The panties were now worn over her own second pair of panties. She'd spent three months' worth of salary from all her jobs combined for a tiny vial of bare pheromones. When she was a block away, she slipped the tiny fingernail-sized vial out of her clutch, dabbing a few drops on her wrists and neck. Her dull human senses couldn't smell a thing, but she crossed her fingers that it was the real thing. Taking several deep breaths, she composed what was left of her emotions. Get inside, get in front of him. Throwing her head back, she stomped down Charter like it was named after her. She saw security watching her like he'd gladly switch places with her intended target. When she was six feet away, her heart went into overdrive, knocking against her rib cage. When she was four feet away, her brain went into retreat mode. Everything told her to turn around and run. When she was two feet away, her knees lost their ability to hold her up. She only stayed upright and moving through forward motion. She passed through security, and she heard a whispered, Good luck. I need it, she whispered back. She followed the other well-dressed shifters down the hidden stairs and stood in the extensive receiving line. Unlike her first time there, the line inched forward. All the shifters were irritated. She felt the harmonics clearly on her skin from all her years around her parents and family. Barely moving, she stood in the same place for 15 minutes before there was any significant movement toward the ballroom. An Ursuline nun rushed through the crowd, her habit snapping around her as she moved with authority and alacrity. She pushed with her arms and shoulders, her massive bare strength flexing and straining as she opened the solid cast iron double doors wider. There in the distance, at the end of the hallway, for all those assembled to see, was him, Ursa Major the first bear shifter ever created by magic, the sexiest man she had ever seen, and the reason she was back here again. She would have her night with him this time. Now that the doors were wide open, 
and the second line could see him, the anxiety in the room dropped 1,000% for everyone, except her. She was so close to him that she felt those feelings of fear, anticipation, and mortification return. She repeated the mantra she had found the last three years that soothed her. There is nothing stopping you but you. 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 That fifth time always set her equilibrium back in order. Her sense of calm clicked like a key in a lock. She was less than 20 people away now, pulling out a compact. She checked her lipstick and makeup and hair. A girl couldn't go to her wedding night looking a hot mess. The old man behind her said sarcastically, You know he judges your soul, not your appearance. Yes, but there's no reason for my appearance to match your soul she retorted. Chuckles rippled outwards from where they stood, shifter hearing being what it was. People upstairs and deep into the ballroom probably heard her. She never turned, but she could feel the man's face draw up like he was sucking lemons and mentally patted herself on the back. The line was moving faster now. He paused on one woman and took such a long, slow perusal of the shifter that her heart started to seize in her chest. He frowned, shaking his head slightly, and a nearby Ursuline nun hurried the lady out of the line before she could start a commotion. She discovered in her research that the Ursuline nuns were responsible for bringing Ursa Major over from Europe. The Fille à la Cassette, or Fille à la Casquette, were the first group of women brought over from Rouen, France, in the early 1700s to be educated as wives to the Frenchmen living in the colonies. Somewhere between the first boatload arriving in Mobile, Alabama in 1704 and the last one in 1728, the Ursa Major was smuggled out of France. The human church had offered bounties for the killing of the origin shifters. That was when shifter kind went completely underground, and references to shifters began to be considered myth until the Great Shifter War outed all shifter kind again. She blinked and the five shifters in front of her were waved through to the ballroom beyond. Then she was in front of him. His towering presence sent her into a premature heat. The magic of him so large and overpowering, it felt like a second person was invisible and standing next to him, radiating magic. I remember you, Mademoiselle Belle. Never has a mademoiselle or even a madame turned me down before. And never has a woman come back. His voice was sonorous, like a movie surround sound system. It echoed and boomed, and all the fine hairs that she hadn't waxed off her body rose up to sway in the sound waves. She wanted to dance naked in his voice. She would dance naked under his watchful eyes as he spoke dirty to her, she promised herself. I meant no offense. You, your presence, the night being dragged here... It overwhelmed me, and I wasn't prepared. A fire ignited in his cobalt eyes, and her body responded to it. Her nipples hardened like a marble statue. Her abdominal muscles clenched, and she was embarrassingly near orgasm, and he hadn't laid a finger on her yet. What would it be like to be skin to skin with him? Are you prepared now? He asked seductively. His eyes assessed her from the top of her twist-out, to her light brown skin with its yellow undertones, 
to her broad shoulders that tapered to a waist she wished was smaller, but she'd whittled six inches off over the last nine months. She felt his eyes lingering on the flare of where her child-bearing hips started and further down to her thick calves and thicker thighs that never shrank no matter what she'd done in the gym. Tremors broke out over her body as she whispered, Yes. He smiled, that same orgasm-inducing smile that stopped her brain from functioning before. He offered his hand, and this time she grasped her brown fingers into his olive-skinned ones. Will you serve as my responsibilitrix on this night, as we celebrate the night of my ascendance? Yes. He tucked her hand into his elbow and led her and the rest of the waiting shifters into the ballroom. They went straight to the head table. A string quartet started playing a piece she recognized, but couldn't name. Like a gentleman, he pulled her chair out until she had seated herself, pushing her up to the table with a light tap. His manners were as courtly as she could have imagined for someone who actually was born and raised in medieval times. Her mind overflowed with questions, but they sat quietly for a moment as the ballroom reoriented itself with the Ursa Major's shift in position. He commanded the room with unseen control, but everyone was watching him for cues. Once everyone was seated, he raised an eyebrow at the Mother Superior. She clapped once, and uniformed waiters followed out from unseen panels to serve champagne. He nodded to the musicians. The music changed. He gestured to another nun, and the lights were dimmed. When he was satisfied, he turned to her and looked momentarily sheepish. Mademoiselle. I beg your pardon. We forgot to perform introductions. I myself am Abaron Binon. The Ursa Major had a name. He was a real man. This felt surreal and too close to real. This wasn't just the meeting of the Omega Social Aid and Pleasure Club, as she had imagined. This was a courtship, a faux wedding and a reception, and a wedding night. Chantal Plaisance. Chantal, this is a beautiful name for a beautiful woman. Of course, that sounds cliché to you. You have probably heard it your whole life, no? His accent fluctuated, and she couldn't tell if he was French or Spanish or what, but the placement of words pegged him as a non-native English speaker. Actually, I'm told I'm cute, which isn't quite the same as beautiful. So thank you for the compliment, she answered. Cute is a word for babies or for small animals. You are breathtakingly beautiful. I noticed it the first time, even though you weren't dressed appropriately. She sighed, still embarrassed. I was working around the corner when that group of ladies grabbed me and dragged me along. He nodded, watching her intently. I keep thinking I'll go explore the city, but I haven't stepped outside those doors in decades. I would love to give you a tour anytime. This is my hometown, and I'm a historian, so to speak, she offered. Anything to get to spend more time than tonight with him. He looked intrigued when she mentioned historian. They were forestalled from further conversation by the arrival of the servers, or more accurately, costumed waiters. Gold-rimmed bread plates of lemon parsley gougeres and a giant ice-filled platter, or plateau de fruits de mer with two sauces, held shrimp, oysters, and lobster tails, with brass bowls filled with homemade sauces and wedges of lemon, 
was set between them. The eyes of the room were watching them, waiting as if they were the king and queen. She checked her place setting, and sure enough, there was an oyster fork, shrimp fork, and lobster pick. Flushing with gratitude, she internally thanked her grandmother, who had made her take etiquette classes from childhood to adulthood. On the off chance that she would be in a room full of New Orleans shifter elites, and she wouldn't embarrass herself. He picked up lemon wedges and zested the dozen oysters on the platter. Her heart revved up as she watched him grab the oyster fork, expertly plucking the oyster and holding it to her lips. Looking into his swirling, cobalt eyes, she slowly opened her mouth for him, and he placed the delicate oyster into her mouth. Biting once, the briny taste floated over her tongue and flowed down her throat. Gasping at the sharp taste, she blinked. He was watching her mouth with an intensity that had her fantasizing about dancing under his watchful gaze again. His eyes were riveted to her lips. She swallowed, and his Adam's apple bobbed up and down. It was his only external reaction, but those sexy eyes darkened and the magic swirling in them intensified. Then he licked his lips and she moaned. Grabbing her fork, she speared the edges of the oyster, lifting it toward his waiting and open mouth. He watched her eyes the whole way. When she dropped the oyster on his tongue, Aberon made a slurping noise that went straight to the core of her body. Her body reacted by swelling so much that her panties felt two sizes too small. Quickly, they fed each other and finished off the dozen oysters, moving on to the shrimp and then the lobster. All around them, other couples were mimicking their movements, feeding one another bites of seafood. A miasma of sex, pheromones, and hormones formed over the room. Men started to take off their jackets and bow ties. The servers worked in concert, one clearing bread plates and platters, another refilling the champagne flutes that she didn't realize she and Eberron had emptied and a third server placing new gold-rimmed plates of roasted salmon with lemon butter and fennel in front of them. Silently, he had grabbed her hand, tucking it into his lap to rest on his powerful thigh, while the room was reset for the next course. She felt the muscles there tense as his eyes surveyed the room once again. Skimming the medium-sized room and its dozens of occupants, she searched for the source of his tension but saw nothing that seemed to miss. Times like this were when she felt cheated of her shifter heritage. Clearly something more was going on than her human eyes could see, and she loathed not knowing or being able to sense the undercurrents of emotion that those around her could. What she could feel under her palm was the sculpted perfection of Aberon's thigh. Unobtrusively, she ran her nails up to his crotch and down to his knee. He hissed and looked over to her, dark cobalt pools swirling with lust and magic. I normally prefer the scratches on my back, but if you prefer my thighs, I may find myself liking it. He lifted her hand to his lush mouth, kissing each of her knuckles before flipping her hand open and kissing her palm. She wanted to say, fuck this dinner, and crawl up into his lap and explore his mouth. All she did was gasp as his swirling tongue reached like an electrical current from her palm to her swollen womanhood. She shuddered under his lush lips even after they pulled away. 
she felt the ghost impressions of his mouth on her palm and her clit. The next course was finally served to everyone. Just like before, everything was bite-sized portions for easy feeding of your partner, or as Chantal noticed across the room, partners. A trio had formed at one table and a quartet at another, hands crossing the table to drop mouthfuls into waiting and ecstatic mouths and caresses to each other on faces, shoulders, and arms. Aberon's eyes were pinwheels of cobalt and lust trapping her in place. His hand brought a bite of salmon to her mouth. Open for me, Amosa. She didn't realize he meant her mouth until her thighs were spreading under the table. His eyebrows raised. He chuckled, and the bass and bravado washed over her skin in droplets. Open your mouth for me, Amosa. It won't be long before I dine upon you there. I bet your nectar is out of the gods. He squinted and dipped his chin at her lap. She took the bite of food. It was the best thing she had ever tasted. The two pair of underwear had her nether regions in a stranglehold. She squirmed around in her seat under that intense gaze. She grabbed her champagne flute and drained it. Everything in her wanted to strip out of her clothing. She winced as her clit jutted painfully into the seam of her underwear. Aberon saw her pain. What has happened? You are hurt. Embarrassed, she replied. My underwear are too tight. He placed his fork down neatly. The room stopped. He stood and offered her his large hand again. She gave him her hand, and he pulled her to her feet. He let go of her hand and wrapped his hands around her waist. Lifting her, he stood her on the chair he waited while she got her balance in the tall shoes before he ran his hands up her body. Gripping her ankles, he wrapped his fingers and thumbs around them and glided up her oiled legs. So silky, he murmured. His hands continued their upward trajectory, caressing her calves, stroking her knees and lingering on her thick thighs. She heard his moans echo throughout the room as he inched his way up her thighs. Humiliation should have broken her out of his grasp to flee the ballroom, but nothing could move her from his burning hot gaze and soul-stirring hands. Then he gripped both sides of her hips, and the ripping sound of her lace underwear being torn off her body was like a gong being struck. All around them, men and women tore their partner's clothing off, and the ballroom filled with the sounds and smells of sex. His hands reached her bottom, and he palmed one cheek in each hand, rubbing slow circles into her skin like runes. Wife, he whispered, in front of everyone, or just you and I? Both, she whispered back. There was no way she was only having one time with him when she had spent three years fantasizing about sex with him and its aftermath. She wouldn't curse her regrets anymore after tonight. If a second chance required her to allow all of these people to watch her perform for him, then so be it. Aberon groaned. He let go of her and swiped the table clear. 
uneaten food and dishes clattered to the marble floor. He tore off his jacket and tossed it over the tablecloth like a blanket. Turning back to her, he lifted her off the chair and laid her onto the table like a platter for him to feast. His eyes swirled, but all of the cobalt was gone. His shoulders flexed as he pushed her skirts up to her waist and disappeared beneath the folds. That magical mouth of his reverently sucked on her swollen clit, and she cried out in pain and pleasure as he gripped her thighs hard enough to bruise. One soft lick and one hard swirl of his tongue, and she was done. Her body clenched like a fist as the orgasm rode her in hard, bucking motions. He held her tightly, letting go of her thighs to hold her hips firmly, burying his face deeper into her pussy, making thorough contact with her spasming clitoris. Abaran made the same noise he did when he slurped the oyster, tasting her offering, his tongue rasping her clit and folds as he rolled the taste of her over his tongue. As I expected, you taste of the gods. The best offering I've ever had. When we are alone, I will show you how grateful I am for this you have given me. He said as he stood from where he was kneeling between her parted thighs. He offered her his hand again, and she accepted the help to sit up. All around them the orgy continued. Nuns had shed their habits, musicians had dropped their instruments, and servers had dropped their trays. Only she and Abaran were not engaged in penetration. The moans and groans and wet slapping sounds swirled about them like a hurricane. They were the calm eye in the storm. Except for Abaran's eyes, they were still swirling black pools of magic, and they kept her riveted to his face. He stood tall, surveying the entire room. Nodding, he seemed pleased with the action going on around him. Now that they are occupied with one another, we can go acquaint ourselves. I believe you said you were a historian. Chapter 3 He helped her from the table. Her heel caught on one of the shredded pieces of her underwear. She slipped but Abaran was there to catch her, wrapping his strong, sturdy arms about her waist and pulling her into his body. Two hard orgasms should have made her body replete and ready for a good nap and a cuddle, but a moment in Abaran's arms and she was ready to go again. The countdown sequence initiated itself. Hard nipples, swollen clit, ragged breathing, sensitive skin that flushed with fever. Once again, he tucked her hand into his elbow, escorting her from the ballroom and deeper into the convent's underground lair. He opened the door. Then, with a wicked grin, he swung her up into his arms to carry her over the threshold. She stood twirling around, staring at the room, as if a new princess in a fairy tale movie. The room rivaled every five-star luxury hotel she had ever been in, whether cleaning or bartending or working as room service attendant. The bed dominated the room and defied descriptions like queen or king. It was like two California king beds had been nestled side by side. The giant bed was covered in the brightest, whitest coverlet she had ever seen 
while the headboard was ornate gold swirls and loops that cascaded floor to ceiling. Twenty bright accent pillows of all shapes and sizes festooned the bed and tempted her to leap in the middle and watch them cascade up and fall back down. The four posters soared to the ceiling and had sheer drapes that fell to the floor and pulled around the edges of the bed. A circular table sat next to the bed, filled to the bursting, with desserts and more champagne. She was already tipsy, but accepted the glass that Abaran handed her. Carefully, she sipped the chilled champagne. It was different than the one they had at dinner, or the start of dinner. Abaran crooked a finger at her, and in a rustle of skirts, she moved closer to him and the table. His hand offered a plump, juicy strawberry. Playfully, she wrapped her lips around the tip and making loud sucking sounds for several moments before biting off just the barest tip of the strawberry. The cobalt was long gone from his eyes, but her antics drove all the whites away, too. Two deep pools of black shadows and lust stared back at her. He took the rest of the strawberry away from her mouth and tossed it into his mouth. Casually, he said, chewing the remains. Chantal, I like play for six, scratches and bites, nibbles and licks mixed with laughter, but don't provoke the beast too much. He likes rough sex, hard fucking, spanking your ass repeatedly to watch it jiggle. Restraints. He trailed off. He offered her a bite of another strawberry, this one with a flat dollop of whipped cream on the tip. The veil between us is very thin on this night. We were made from two to one. Be careful which one of us you bring out. Looking directly into his eyes, she sucked the dollop of whipped cream off the tip of the strawberry, then swirled her tongue around the whole berry to get the last traces of cream before opening her mouth wider, baring her teeth in a grimace and biting the berry in half with a growl. Aberon stood straighter, his massive body shuddering as he moaned. Her inner sex goddess felt invincible, feeling bolder than she ever had in her entire life. She grabbed a strawberry from the platter and swirled it through the bowl of cream before offering the bite to Aberon. He opened his mouth and took the whole strawberry she dropped inside. He began chewing and swallowed. Grabbing her retreating arm, he brought her fingers back to his mouth to suck on them insistently. The gentle sucking motion doused the nerves in her body with gasoline. Still feeling bold, she pulled her hand away and stepped into Aberon's personal space. She grasped the buttoned edge of his white shirt and ripped it open. The sound of buttons skittering across the floor was the only sound in the room besides their ragged breathing. From outside their room, the social aid and pleasure club orgy moaned on. I want the whole package. You and the bear, she whispered huskily, as she ran her hands over the chest of the elegant mountain of man in front of her. His skin was scalding to her touch and her body heated to match his internal fire. He pulled her into his embrace and they swayed to an unheard tune. You've done it now, Ulmosa. The bear won't be settled until he has made you roar our name. I hope you are ready for a long night of lovemaking and fucking. Forgive the crudeness of my language, 
but it is the most apt description of what will transpire between us tonight. I used to be a dancer. I have the stamina to go as long as the two of you, she bragged. She felt his dick spring to life between them. Well, she hoped it was his manhood. Otherwise, he'd been smuggling a steel pipe in his pants all night long. Her hands reached for his waistband and undid the tuxedo pants and pushed them to the floor. He didn't have underwear on because he wouldn't have been able to fit in them. Dragging her fingernails down his shaft, he hissed, the sound of which drove her to her knees. He grasped the back of her neck and tilted her face up to his. You don't have to do this act if it is beneath you. She said nothing. As she zeroed in on the full mushroom head, lifting her eyes to his as she took him into her mouth and sucked tenaciously, he tasted of her dreams, wealth, luxury, privilege. No way would she be able to take all of him, but she was going to take as much of him as she could. Aberon's groans sent her ego into the stratosphere. She worked both hands and her head in a rhythm that produced a rumbling from his chest that traveled outwards in ripples on his body. She felt the growls coming down his shaft and into her mouth. She went faster, twirling and twisting her hands around his shaft as she took more of him into her mouth and edging down her throat. The bear was having none of her easing away into deep-throating him, his hands grabbed her neck and he pushed into her body the full way. She gasped at the roughness of his hands, but that just gave him the millimeter he needed to go all the way down her throat. He held her face and pounded into her mouth. He pulled out in one long stroke and she was bereft. He lifted her to her feet and kissed the air from her lungs. She wrapped her body around his and his tongue invaded her mouth over and over. It was like hugging a tree, a strong, sturdy, sexy tree that worshipped with its hands. He lit her body on fire with every touch of his hands as he explored her from neck to ass. Growling, he walked toward the bed, carrying her weight easily. She held on for dear life, not afraid that he would drop her but because touching his skin made her high. Gently laying her on the edge of the bed, he stared down at her. Aberon was there in the eyes, but the bear was in the forefront still. The bear grabbed her hips and flipped her over. He tossed her skirt over her head and pulled her hips back to meet his stiff dick. One thrust, and he was filling her to the brim, she whimpered at the fullness. She was so wet, he glided inside her. His hips bounced off her round ass, and he ground himself deeper into her. Just when her body had adjusted to his length and width and girth, he started to fuck her with a wild abandon that had her howling like a wolf. Stroke after stroke into her, the sounds of their bodies slapping drove her insane. Her body orgasmed with every other thrust. She felt like a phoenix, her body ready to burst into flames at any moment. 
Her body reveled in the sensations of his hands holding her tightly, the rasp of his wide dick sliding in and out of her slickness, and the moans and groans Aberon made as he pumped in and out of her like a piston. She would have endured that rough, hard, and fast pace all night, knowing she wouldn't be able to walk without a hitch in her giddy-up for a week. But Aberon's teeth grazed the back of her neck, then sank into her the same time she felt his body tense and his seed fountain within her. She felt her body come apart molecule by molecule as his saliva and semen changed the DNA of her body. Parts of her dissolved into a mist and other parts of her hardened like granite. She expanded and contracted. She could see the past and the future, darkness and light, eternity and nothing. Her body coalesced from its former state to its new state. She felt fundamentally different. She couldn't decide if it was for the better or worse. Her breasts were firmer and higher, her waist smaller, her legs stronger, she could smell the pure magic of Oberon like her favorite cake in the oven, and it made her dizzy and high. The Omega's orgy in the ballroom was the second dominant scent. Her own after-sex scent was different than she remembered before. Ah, oh, Mofem, I feel the bear has mocked you, claiming you notre compagnon, mon compagnon, our mate. Aberon stumbled over the words as he pulled off his sweat-soaked shirt, using it as a towel across his body before pulling her into his arms. They settled across the bed, breathing as one. I know you are only meant to be mine for the holiday. I apologize. The bear, he doesn't understand the concept of time. But in three hundred years, he has never bitten another woman. You rocked our soul. He continued. I want to be sorry, but I cannot. Never has a woman driven us both insane with lust and desire as you. When you leave, you will have to bear our mark and your future mate will have to see it. Derisively, she laughed. I'll never have a mate. I'm a carrier. No shifter wants me. Carrier of what? He asked, confused. I can't shift into an animal. I have the DNA, but nothing happens. DNA. More confusion laced his voice, but he pulled her tighter in his arms, like those arms could protect her from the menace of her DNA. How did you explain something modern like DNA to a hundreds-year-old creature made of pure magic and mayhem? Searching for a word old enough that he would understand, she said, I'm infecund. The animal in me doesn't exist. Chapter 4 Aberon sat up, propping himself on his elbow. Why haven't you seen a witch or warlock to fix this? Symbol spell, if my memories serve me correctly. But it's been hundreds of years since I've practiced more than the lust magic that rolls off of me on this holiday. Her hopes soared, but reality quickly dashed them. Most magic users and shifters don't intermingle these days. I wouldn't even know how to find someone to do what you are saying is a simple spell. 
she admitted, explaining how magic users were not the reverent beings he may have remembered them being. Is this something that you would want? She felt his fingers tracing circles up and down her inner thighs. The man and the bear loved her thick thighs, and for once she loved the jiggly things herself because of the amount of pleasure they derived from him. My whole life. I've always felt like an outsider in my own family. Excluded through no fault of my own, because you can't have a human girl roaming the woods with a pack of bears during the night. I just want to shift so so that I wouldn't stand out as the one who couldn't, she confessed. Tears sprang up as she admitted her jealousy, watching everyone else be amazing and she just being Chantal the carrier. He wiped away her tear that trailed from the corner of her eye. Leaning over, he kissed everywhere the tear had ran before he wiped it away. That magnificent mouth of his made her forget what they had been discussing. She turned her face up to him and pulled his face down to hers. Kiss me like you're the last man I'll ever be with, she whispered. The cobalt blue had returned to his eyes while they cuddled, but those orbs began kaleidoscoping between the blue and black. Abaran positioned his body over hers and slid his hands under her chin. He took his sweet time lowering his mouth to hers, but it was the gentlest soul-stirring kiss she'd ever had. Earlier they had exploded together like a volcano. Now they burned like a gentle fire before it turned into an inferno. They equally did the work of kissing, his tongue diving in her mouth, her tongue invading his mouth. Moments of tender kisses turned to minutes as they explored one another more leisurely this time. Aberon was what Michelangelo should have modeled the statue of David after. He was shifter perfection, abdominal muscles stacked like cordwood, powerful arms the circumference of bowling balls, and massive thighs and calves so perfect they looked as if they were turned on a lathe by an artisan. Her hands feasted on his skin that was magma levels of hot, as his hands did the same to her. She still wore the stolen ball gown skirts bunched under her into a basketball. The dress was ruined. Guilt didn't even cross her mind with Aberon here to make the night worth it. He pulled away and she gathered herself to follow. Stay, Morfem. I'm not going far. He told her as he stopped at the dessert table. He grabbed the platter of strawberries and the bowl of whipped cream. I find myself in need of sustenance, but I can't just feast on your body all night. I'll combine two activities, he said as he came back to the bed. On his knees, above her, he offered her another strawberry dipped in whipped cream. She took it from his fingers, making sure to swirl her tongue out just enough for the tip to make contact with his fingers. He groaned. Mosa, the bear isn't sated of you yet. Don't bring him back out yet. He may never be finished with your body, but it is my turn to play now. Watching her eyes, he emptied his hands. He trailed his index finger from the tip of her chin down her front to just where the fabric of the dress rested above her navel. Grasping both sides of the dress, 
he tore it away, his eyes feasting on her naked body for the first time. He picked up two strawberries and spun them through the whipped cream, painting her body. She was the canvas, the whipped cream, the paint, and the strawberries, his brushes. If she moaned as the strawberry touched her somewhere, Aberon left a strawberry there, marking it as a beacon. When he reached her belly, a naughty grin flashed across his face. She'd had every hair below her navel, waxed off with brutal efficiency this morning. I love this modern baleness that women do. But I don't mind the hair, either. More swirls of whipped cream across the top of her pussy, then he laid a trail of strawberries from her navel to her clit. Taking another berry, he inserted it directly inside her. Hold that there. I'll come back for it later. At a pace a snail would have said, Speed up, man! Aberon licked the cream and gathered the berries into his mouth. She squirmed under his mouth, crying out in whimpers that just made him chuckle over her and go even slower. He lavished attention on her nipples, sucking, nipping, and one full bite that brought her perilously close to losing her mind. Every time she tried to speed him up, he moved slower. When she reached for him, he grabbed her wrists and held them over her head on the bed. She bucked her hips, and one berry wobbled in place. He stopped licking the underside of her breast to watch its movement. Such a naughty and disobedient wife you are, he said, rising off the bed. He grabbed the remains of her dress and ripped long strips from it. Then he grabbed her right ankle, and lifting her leg up in the air, he trailed his tongue from knee to ankle while he made a loop. He affixed the loop to the bottom right poster of the bed. Quickly he moved, and she found herself trussed up in the middle of the bed. Now I can take my time, he murmured as he crawled back up the bed to her. She squirmed against the restraints. No, my sweet, I'll have to spank you if you continue moving. Then it will be even longer until I can plunge my manhood inside you. She groaned and lay perfectly still as Aberon resumed his slow voyage across her body. Her skin was a fragile map of sensitive spots and everywhere his mouth explored in detail. After what felt like hours, he arrived at the trail of strawberries that was the path to her clitoris. He moved slower and with more excruciating pauses between berries. She strained to hold her head up to watch him eat the last strawberry he had placed over her swollen, jutting clit. It was almost cemented in place by the huge dollop of whipped cream. He took swipes of cream with his tongue, dragging it slowly. Two more of those ice cream cone licks and she erupted, crushing the strawberry inside her as her body clenched. Perfection. Aberon said as he bent his head to lick the crushed strawberry juices and her own juices as they flowed out of her. His tongue invaded her as it went diving for the last pieces of strawberry. Please, she begged. There were no other words she had. Her mind and her body had lusted after him for three long years and couldn't wait another second for him to be inside of her. Yes, Mofem, 
A pleasure, you know. He positioned himself over her. She could feel the head parting her lips, but he wouldn't push inside. Why, Amarana? Why won't you? I can do the magic and make you a bear. But I want something in return. Anything, she promised. Hoping her affirmative answer would drive him inside her, and she could feel the long rasp of his perfect head as he took them to another orgasm. Stay with me. The years of loneliness came through his voice, and she didn't know what to say. She was forced to not think about it as Aberon chose that moment to plunge his dick all the way inside her in one stroke. The air left her as she clenched him. He was too big and just right. He didn't set the furious pace the bear did, but he drove her body over the edge every few strokes. She tilted her face up and he came down from his height to rain kisses all over her mouth and neck. He pulled back, grabbing her nipples and twisting while he built a rhythm to finish them both. The biggest orgasm of the night gripped her body and she shuddered. Sinking her nails into his palms, she drew blood. Above her, he shouted her name, and she felt his seed spilling inside her again, just as hot and molten. He released the restraints and gathered her in his arms again. Marry me, Chantal. Stay here with me. Marry me, Amaran, and come outside with me. Hey, <laughs> was it good for you? <laughs> um, I really, really enjoyed that. It's so nice to have a paranormal shifter world that is not cookie cutter average. Um, that was Shay August, Social Aid and Pleasure. Um, definitely look in those show notes so you can get the link to Bachelor in Paradise, A Rare and Unknown Romance, Book 8. Um, you can find Ms. Shay August, S-H-A-I, August, like the month, on Instagram, at Shay August. You can find her link tree, um, which I believe is linktr.ee forward slash Shay August. And um, I am Keanu Goodrum. I am on Audible. You can find my books there. You can just go to audible.com and type in my name. My incredibly difficult name of <laughs> Q-U-I-A-N-A, good rum, just like it sounds. <laughs> That's me. Um, I pretty much only do romances, so drama, paranormal, fantasy, um, all levels of romance, erotica, taboo, fetish. Um, that's my niche, and that's who I am. Um, my company is aworldofproofing.com. Uh, feel free to check that out. I do have a little cute little books there in case you want to know how to become an audiobook narrator. Just a little guides, like really, really, really inexpensive, step-by-step um, feel free to reach out to me if you're interested in something like being an audiobook narrator. Um, I'm, I'm interested in learning if that's something people want help learning how to do. Um, I have really enjoyed reading to you tonight. I hope you can't even hear what I'm saying because you are just knocked out sleep. Thank you for joining me. There will be new episodes. I'm going to try to get this done maybe once every two weeks for the moment. Um, and then if I can get into a good rhythm uh, every week. And thank you for joining me, Rosebud. And you have a beautiful evening. <laughs>